0: Let me ask you to take your Bibles, please, and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians, we're going to start there this morning and uh, move around a little bit. You see the handout I gave you called Preaching Missions from the Text. And uh, what I want to do is uh, probably combine two goals into one message and seek to accomplish those. Uh, Flowing out of, I mentioned yesterday, uh, what I... Uh, my awakening to my pastoral failure in terms of leadership with regard to our church's efforts and missions, and uh, mainly I think, well, I probably provoked to the recognition of that by circumstantial kinds of things. I remember uh, you know, sitting in Olive Garden with a missionary we supported, and he told me, the process that he went through to be approved as a missionary, which accounted for like a five minute interview with the mission agency and i and I was just like, I didn't literally have my jaw drop, but it was like, seriously, I mean that that was all, and that was one of the ones I'm like, so I can't assume what I've been assuming, right and 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 then a number of things happening that sort of pushed me. Uh, And thankfully, God's kindness pushed me into the word to study what I should think about these things and what I should teach about them. Uh, But it was, in one sense, it was a painful experience to realize that I had started off so poorly in that area. I found some small comfort that after, uh, for the Student Global Impact, we wrote the book for the sake of his name. And it started to get distributed, and I started getting phone calls from pastors wanting me to come in uh, because they had used the book, say, like with their missions committee, and their missions was totally out of whack, and they wanted, uh, they wanted a hitman to come in and <laughs> preach the stuff so that they could, they could work through it with their churches. So I thought, well, you know, at least I wasn't the only idiot out there, right? And those guys, some of those guys had the advantage of they got called to a church that was out of line in that regard uh so so I I came to the conclusion that that it was a much larger problem perhaps than than I realized and so uh you know that's why I think the drum needs to just keep being beaten you know we need to think biblically and theologically about the task that Jesus has entrusted to us and and then and then move to the applicational side of it right, rather than just like, go, 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 and then figure out later on if we're doing the thing we were actually supposed to be doing, and so I think it's important in that way. One of the other things that, or two other things I think that I've come to realize are are challenges, I wouldn't necessarily say failures uh, that I recognize, but challenges, is that the longer you are in the same place, right, so I've I'm over 30 years here uh, as, as the senior pastor, um, is the, the challenge of appropriate redundancy. Right? I think the failure is, sometimes us, we as pastors preach at preach once and think it's settled forever in everybody's minds, right? And, and the reality of it is, uh, just the nature of turnover in churches, That wonderful series that you preached to lay out your missions theology, you know, 15 years ago, a third of the church wasn't in the church, right? Another third was there, but they weren't listening, right? And and I don't mean mean that in like a bad way, but it, it just, there's always this combination of, you know, they may have heard you, but it wasn't actually something that was resonating with them as much as it should have for whatever reason they had a lot of things going on and they just you know it just didn't didn't drive deeply into their heart and and radically change their way of thinking about things um, and then you had people that weren't were at church but not under your preaching right because you usually got people doing nursery all kinds of stuff and they just they did, they may have heard you know let's say you had six sermons they ha- they heard four of them but they didn't hear the whole thing and if they had kids sick and all that stuff, so the reality is, all kinds of people missed it, and so it's it's a mistake for us to think that we preached on it once that settles it. Everybody's on the same page. We're good, right? And and so we have to recognize that tension, and I think also there has been a tendency in our churches to uh, uh, this is is probably oversimplification but to only preach on missions at points of special emphasis. A missions conference, a missions Sunday, right? And and in that sense, uh, often can be basically the same sort of simplified version of missions that gets into that kind of a format, right? It's mission Sunday, so go, or give, right, and, and so it just gets restricted to that, and, and actually, I think we limit ourselves, in, as I'm going to try and unpack for us, but I think also, we, we practically, right, we, we practically, um, by doing it that way, take the task that Jesus gave to us, and relegate it to the program. All right, okay, we're gonna have a missions conference. So this is the you know used to be full week. This is now the three days. Now this is the Sunday that we really focus on missions, all right? And we talk about our missions program, and and so all of a sudden the normal life of the church is operating all the time. Oh yeah, yeah we got to talk about missions now, or we have a mission area. Instead of it actually being woven in to the lifeblood of the church as the expectation of God for the whole church. Everybody embracing the task that Jesus commissioned us to do. So I have a a dual goal that I hope I can accomplish and will pursue, which is to review or highlight core Great Commission truths with second goal, a view to helping us be better shepherds over the Great Commission ministry of the church. All right. So those are the two goals. Highlight core Great Commission truths with a view to helping us shepherd more effectively in the Great Commission ministry of our church. And I'm actually going to handle those though in reverse order. Right, I want to talk about us shepherding well, and then and then move to the the sort of review and see if I can uh, help help us think about that a little bit so she want to start real quickly two principles that I think drive what I want to try and emphasize this morning the first is this shepherds are called to lead and feed first Thessalonians five, twelve and 13 but we request of you brethren that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So I'll I'll grant right off the bat that this doesn't actually mention the word shepherd, elder, overseer. But I think most recognize that that's the function that's going on here. People who have charge over you and give you instruction is where we get the concepts of leading and feeding the flock. Right, so responsible for setting direction of the church and communicating God's word and will to the church. That's, that's how we shepherd, right? That's what we're called to do, to lead and feed. Now, if you just jump over to 1 Timothy 5, another, I hope, familiar text in this kind of a context, I would suggest, secondly, that shepherds lead best through feeding, right? That it's not... We're organizational men who who are great leaders because we draw up wonderful ministry slash business plans and, and, and operate and execute those, but that the primary point of our leadership is through the feeding of God's people, the teaching of his word about what the church is supposed to be and do, that we're exposing them to that truth so that we're influencing their beliefs and behaviors to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ, All right? So we're using our, our office and responsibility to proclaim the word and exercise that kind of leadership. 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And, and again, uh, some, uh, there's debate about this text in that regard that some try to separate it into ruling and teaching elders. I don't think that's a good uh, unpacking of the text as if uh, you have elders who are not responsible for preaching and teaching since one of the qualifications is, in fact, that you are to be apt to teach. Uh, and Paul talks to all the elders who have been made overseers by the Holy Spirit to shepherd the church and, and, he, and he commends them to the word of God and his grace. That it's that exercising of it. So all elders, our pastors, our overseers, are responsible for the preaching and teaching of God's word. And, and those who are doing this well are worthy of double honor. And that's why I say they lead best, right? They lead best through the feeding working hard at preaching and teaching. So, so that's really the call that we have. And, and so we're, uh, if we're, and I'll put it this way in terms of question, if we're responsible for leading the church, and leading the church means engaging the, the people of God into the work of Jesus Christ, then, then if we're going to do that well... It needs to be through the ministry of the word, right? That we're actually uh, showing them what Jesus has commissioned us to do and what living that out looks like, right? That's the basic platform from which I'm, I'm trying to work. So let me do a little, a little work here on the practice side of it, and I've just put these in there to, to try and show you where I'm coming from. Expositional preaching, is a method of preaching which unpacks the original meaning of a passage, correlates it with the unified message of Scripture, and makes appropriate application to its contemporary hearers. That's, that's something sucked out of my Homiletics One Notes, right? So that's what we try to focus on. That's what expositional preaching is it goes into the text of Scripture and, and unpacks the original meaning. What, what did the author intend? when he wrote these words and and so we dive into the scriptures to understand that and because the bible is a unified message we want to make sure we correlate it with the rest of what God has said in in two ways one is that the rest of scripture has an effect on our understanding of this text right we're not going to understand this text in a way that contradicts the rest of scripture Right? That's why we sometimes talk about the grammatical, historical, theological interpretation. Right, The, the passage we're in cannot be taken contradictorily to the rest of Scripture. So there's always that aspect of it. But also, this passage makes a contribution to our understanding of the Bible's message on this. Right? So it's, it's all of those things. There's a, there's a consistency check and a contribution check that should be happening When we're handling any passage of scripture, and it's that contribution part that I I actually am going to try and zero in on in a moment, and then application, right? The appropriate application is actually the one that is drawn from this passage. Right? This passage teaches truth that needs to be pressed down into our lives, and and so you can see the implication of this text for the way we live. It's not just like. I've preached the text, now I can just free associate applications, right? I'm actually looking for the ramifications of this text, this passage, for the hearers that are present in front of me, right? Because I'm preaching not just the Bible, but I'm preaching the Bible to people. And so I need to be aware of who's listening so I can make appropriate application to them. All right, so those three things, if you look at the ABC there, interpretation, what does this text say and mean, correlation in terms of the topic we're looking at this morning is what does this text contribute to our understanding of Great Commission ministry? So I'm actually, as I'm preaching any passage, I could be asking the question, what does this contribute to my theology of missions? What does this contribute to my theology and understanding of what Jesus has commissioned the church to be and do, right? And so that's true in any passage. So it may not, right? I'll grant that, right? It may not. I'm not trying to stretch it, make stuff up. I'm trying to find the legitimate correlation between what this text says and if it has any implications for what we understand about the mission. And what this allows us to do, uh, really, it it actually sort of forces us properly to do, is not restrict our preaching about missions to the few texts that we have explicitly identified as mission texts. Great Commission, other Commission texts, right? We we think, I'm going to preach on missions, I've only got, you know, 12 passages I can go to. And so we go back to those again and again, which isn't a bad thing. Remember, we need to have some built-in redundancy, but we're also limiting ourselves from understanding the fuller picture of what God intends for us. Right? So, so we need, I think we can then expand it. And also, in doing, right, we can we can help people see that this is not just isolated to a couple of things. It's actually woven right through the New Testament. I mean, that, that it's actually, just like last night with, with uh, actually, Phil's yesterday, J.D.'s last night. Those passages are there because the church was a missionary church. I mean, Paul tells Timothy to do what he told him to do precisely because of the mission of Jesus Christ. And the problems that they were wrestling through at Rome and in Corinth were pri- precisely because the mission of Jesus Christ had penetrated their cultures and they were wrestling with it and so Paul's doing missionary theology for them, right? I mean, and that should be the expectation for us, therefore when we preach it, we should be preaching it with an eye too. This is here because of what Jesus commissioned us to do. Right, not just this is the way you can get along in church. This is, you know, this is introducing our leadership program. <laughs> right? It actually is a part of our, our understanding of the missionary nature of the church. And then application. Does this text affect the way we do Great Commission ministry? Does it have ramifications for how we're doing it? and that's the application side of it and so if you would please go to Matthew 28 because I want to do here um, and this is where I'm going to have to be self-disciplined because I could unpack this next portion for a whole semester I think Uh, but I don't want to do that this morning I want to just sort of uh, hit and I've I put it under the label paradigm because here's what I'm trying to uh, what I'm trying to encourage us to adopt in some way is uh, if we're uh, and you can call it whatever you want right but if we actually started to think about our our approach to the ministry of the church in a Great Commission kind of model. Right That the church, the church you pastor is actually an extension of obedience to the Great Commission and is actually supposed to be an extender of obedience to the Great Commission. right It is the result of pre- previous generations doing the Great Commission and it is part, supposed to be a part of the process of perpetuating the Great Commission. right' that's, that's why the church exists, right We're carrying out the work of jesus christ which he said back in chapter 16 is to build his church all right and the great commission is actually the way in which jesus is doing that so we sit in that process right and we need to think that way so so all i'm i I mean i i because i've preached it all A bunch of different times I've got different ways to outline it so it sounds like it's something new right but but here's the way the main points you can see there authority activity arena assurance right that these things I think are drawn from the text so let me just highlight them 8 18 to 20 I'll read Jesus came up and spoke to them all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And, and here's what I'm, I'm actually wanting to sort of get you to think about, at least consider as a possibility for approaching it like this, is that you could, you could put four categories there, right? authority activity arena and assurance right drawn from this text and then as you preach through other texts you could be thinking right what does the great commission have in terms of its relationship to this text and what does this text contribute to our understanding of what these four categories are that's that's sort of the big picture what i'm saying right so i'm now out preaching in the book of ephesians And I come across a passage, and and I'm just sort of illustrating before we dive deeper. And it talks about Jesus being exalted, having a name above every name, everything being subject to him. And I go, boy, that sounds a lot like all authority has been given to me. So I'm preaching Ephesians, the end of Ephesians, and saying, so folks, when you hear this, hear the echo of Jesus saying, all authority has been given me in heaven and earth. Go. Right? So so Paul's talking about the glory of God and the grace he's bestowed on the church, and a part of that is that we have a risen Lord who has all authority, and and therefore we have been authorized to go on his behalf. Right? So, So all of a sudden, in the middle of Ephesians... I'm bringing them back to what did Jesus commission us to do, right? Instead of just waiting till mission Sunday or the missions conference to talk about those things, right? That's, that's what I'm, I'm talking about. So let me just unpack what I would say, and I, I need to sort of walk through these because I want to show you each of them. I'm, I want to show you where, in fact, uh, the correlation kind of thing would happen, right? So I take authority in three ways. we're going to talk about the authority I would say it's actually an authority that's entrusted to Jesus by virtue of his resurrection this is not I don't think that Matthew 28 is talking about the authority inherent in him as the second person of the triune God this is an authority which has been given to him by virtue of his resurrection this is the authority that fits in that Philippians 2 passage right he humbled himself became a servant Verse 9, wherefore God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. Or this is the authority that Peter preaches about. The one that you crucified, God raised from the dead. He's made him both Lord and Christ, right? So this is, this is the authority of Jesus to carry out the mission he's commissioning us to. So that's why I have those three sub points there uh, that we can go, right? We have permission, And this is exactly where the apostles answer in Acts when they're told to stop preaching. They say to obey God or man in 419 and 529. So so they're rooting it back to the Great Commission. God told us to do this, so we must do this, right? And that means then if we're thinking about this as shepherds, that means that there actually is permission from Jesus to go any place in this world? And and there are people in our churches who wrestle with this question, say of restricted access countries. Well, that nation says you can't come in. And we're saying we need to go in. Romans 13 says, submit to them as powers ordained by God. Well, here's the power and authority that's over theirs. And we have two times in the book of Acts that tell us that we have to obey God rather than men. So we can go any place on this planet to preach the gospel because the authority under which we operate is greater than any human authority, right? So, so we're rooting it in, in the Great Commission and showing in the book of Acts how the, the first disciples understood what Jesus said. And therefore, it should control us right so we're working our way out from the text into the book of Acts and then showing as well how it is uh instructed in Christ in the epistles for the disciples to follow I'd, I'd say as well not only can we go permission we must go that's that's obligation right look at the connection between 18 and 19 that word therefore I have all, th- all authority therefore go right so we're commanded we must go, and, and, and then we should go. I would actually say, if you read John 17, 2, Jesus talks about having been given authority over all men to give eternal life to those the Father's given him. So we should go because this is the means by which Jesus is going to call out his sheep. And he has authority to do that. Right? I know we might have differences on exactly how that's parsed out but but i think jesus is clear that when he engages us in this mission it is not a hope so endeavor right john 10 16 he says other sheep have i which are not of this fold them must i also bring and they will hear my voice and that's because he has authority from god to give eternal life so we go out on behalf of the one who has the authority to grant eternal life and the powerful voice to call his sheep to himself. So we're not going out going, man, I sure hope this thing works. I hope Jesus can fulfill his promise to build the church. No, we're going out in an authoritative mission from him. So here's what I'd be saying. All texts regarding human government... Right, anytime you pass a text in the New Testament about human government, there is a correlation and an application about the Great Commission that's laying there if we ask it, right? So I'm preaching through First Peter and I come to the passages about honoring the king and all of that. I could, I could stop and say, now folks, let's just think for a moment about how this fits into the mission that Jesus has given us with all authority and sometimes we go into places and and we're actually going in disobedience to the human government, right? So all of a sudden here in 1 Peter, I open up missionary theology. Romans, I open up missionary theology, right? Because any text about human government, I, I can correlate it with the Great Commission. I can say, okay, so... So we need to think now, what is this, how does this text fit, right, it actually would be in this side of it, how does this text fit with what we know Jesus said about our mission, and I can't take Romans 13 or 1 Peter to mean we don't have authority. I can't, I can't interpret it that way, right, so I'm, I'm doing theology of missions from this text. And it gives me an opportunity to teach God's people so they can think about it. So when that brother shows up and saying, I'm going to, you know, one of those stands because I want to preach the gospel, there won't be people sitting out there. Well, you can't do that. They say no. Because we've helped them think, but we need to think more carefully than that, right? And we need to think a lot more carefully about it. In fact, it could give me lots of opportunity to keep weaving in things that are important about that so if we do go we need to be prepared for persecution if we do go we need to go with integrity right and if we go we need to make sure we find ways to go that make sense to the people we're trying to reach as well as to us right so I just I just jump to application real quickly and that's something I can say a thousand times and it still won't be sinking in completely Right? So, so and, and I'm not talking about it. all of a sudden I just spent 45 minutes on it. I could just walk out there and say, guys, you know, church, so here's how we think. So we need to be praying for people that are, are from our church are doing this. You know, are we praying as they wrestle through these issues? Right? It, g- it just gives me opportunity to keep the missionary task in front of them. Any passage about spiritual warfare? Right? Ephesians 6, 10 and following is a great missions task right because Jesus has all authority that's why we don't have to be a fearful and back down from this fight because he has a name which is above them and 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 those of us who've been sort of cloistered in western context uh, don't don't grasp I mean I admit this right we don't grasp as fully the, the, the reality of spiritual warfare, right? Because all we hear about are demons are Hollywood movies. And they're wrestling with witch doctors and spirits and fear of ancestors. And, and we, need to, we need to root that all in 2818. Right? Jesus has all authority. So, so when we confront these things, we confront them from the one who commissioned us in that regard the lordship of Christ, right? Uh, I, mean, I know it could kick off all kinds of stuff, but the sovereign grace of God all have correlations and possible application to verse 18, right? And verse 18 is the, like the poor orphan verse of the Great Commission, right? We, we, we don't, think about and chew on the ramifications of this statement that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. And, and there's all kinds of places in Acts and in the epistles where, where that's demonstrated and needs to be explicated and, and applied. And so we can do that. All right, look at the second peg, and that is the issue of activity make disciples baptizing and teaching to observe and again i'm I'm jumping to a lot of stuff I, i i would if i wanted to i could unpack it in other ways but let's just move to the that means i think at least that the activity involves the 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 pursuit of new converts the forming of them into a new community and then the perpetuation of new congregations and i think in your notes i have New converts through the gospel, new community around the gospel, and new congregations for the gospel. And, and I take that as the new converts as disciples, right? The, the Great Commission is, includes evangelism, but it is a mistake to say that evangelism satisfies the Great Commission. He says, make disciples. He doesn't just say, preach the gospel. Right, so we're actually after new converts—people who become followers of Jesus Christ through faith in His person and work. Right, and that is evidenced by a conversion, turning from dead idols to serve the living and true God. Right, so so it actually has to be something that we're pursuing like that, which means, again, I'm trying to do unpack the text, and then, and now I'm, I'm I've got my. I've got my activity new converts up here and I'm preaching through passages and I I come to passages like say in Ephesians 4 20 when it talks about no longer walking like those who don't know God but you learned Christ that is the word for discipleship you became a disciple a learner of Christ hey that's what Jesus called us to do so listen folks when we look at Ephesians 4, 17-24, we're actually seeing an example of what it means to have the discipleship of Matthew 28 happening, All right? This is, this is what it means to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You learn Christ in this way, right? And, and so now I'm, I'm, I'm popping up to it. I mean, clearly if I read 1 John, how do we know when someone's been made a disciple? Well, Here's the evidences of life. So, you know, when we're going out to the task of the Great Commission, how do we know when we've made disciples? Well, here's what 1 John tells us about that. Right? So I'm contributing understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Preaching through the book of 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter. Man, it's just rich with, so this is what happens when the missionary comes in and preaches the gospel. And Paul says there, knowing, brethren, beloved of God, his choice of you. So Paul is telling us how he knew they had become disciples of Jesus. Here's the marks of that. And that's what ought to be happening in our churches. And that's what we ought to be praying for the folks who've gone out to other people. right? So all of a sudden I go from this text, I go up into the truth that's there to contribute to it and then apply it. So, hey, what are we doing about this? And I'm keeping them in front front of them the mission of the church. I said a new community and because I take baptizing as being the incorporation of a professing believer into the assembly of God's people, based on Acts 2, right? as many as received His word, were baptized and that day they were added to them. Uh, I like the way J.D said it yesterday in his workshop. Uh, the culmination of evangelism is baptism. All right, that's when a person actually is confessing publicly that they've, they've trusted in Christ. And if they're not willing to do that, he didn't say this, I'm saying this. All right? If they're not willing to do that, then I don't think we should be quite ready to call them a believer. right? Because they've not been willing to own Christ and identify with him. And, and, and I think that was very clear in, in the way Jesus commissioned us, right? We're to, the characteristic of making disciples is that they're being baptized, to identify with Christ and who he is. And, and so everything about the incorporation of believers into the fellowship of the church becomes an avenue to remind people of why we do this. Right? This is what Jesus commissioned us to do. This is what we're supposed to be pursuing. I think it also helps us see, if I can put it this way, that, that the Great Commission cannot be fulfilled by individuals. Right, Because baptism is an ordinance of the church. But a lot of times we preach the Great Commission as if it's just like an individual responsibility. You need to go fulfill the Great Commission. Well, the only way you could do that is if you've been sent by a local assembly and are resulting in the establishment of local assemblies, right? Because baptism is an ordinance of the church. It's not a privatized thing. So it's actually a congregational responsibility to which individuals must be committed, right? So that gives me all kinds of, when I, I, I come through the, book of acts and the new testament epistles and i see what they're doing in acts and how they're establishing churches at antioch and and in asia minor and i can start saying so here's why they're doing this right this is why the church was important to them it's because that's what jesus commissioned us to do it wasn't just get as many people saved as possible it actually was call people to become followers of Jesus Christ through faith in his personal work and incorporate them into a believing community around the gospel. So all church passages give me an opportunity to point back to that, right? I mean, yesterday, uh, I hopefully was an example of it. I'm preaching through 1 Corinthians 3 and saying, so what does this mean about the Great Commission? Paul describes his work as a church planter, right? So that means pioneer missionaries are church planters, right? So all of a sudden, 1 Corinthians 3, that we might just be inclined to just deal with it on the like established church reality problem, we should be setting it in the context of what Jesus commissioned his people to do. And therefore, we're bringing that to bear on the text and drawing out of that text implications for our understanding of it Ephesians 4 uh, I mean I here's what I would I would say it this way okay if you think about the logic in Ephesians and Romans right Ephesians 1 through 3 is all that God has done for us 4 1 says therefore walk worthy Romans is 1 through 11 all that God's done for us 12.1 is, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by mercies of God, present yourself a living sacrifice. Do you know what the first thing the Apostle Paul addresses after 4.1 and 12.1 and 2? Life in the church. He talks about the use of your gifts. and, And the fact that it's a body, the body of Christ through which the work is being done. Very first thing of discipleship he addresses is life in the church right properly using your gifts in a in a mode of humble service romans 12 understanding the need to cultivate unity and how christ is working through the church 4 7 gifts given 4 16 proper functioning of every part right that's the first thing he tackles after he calls them to walk worthy of what god did for them right and and so that gives us an opportunity to say so this thing that jesus is building is really really important when you consider all that god's done one through three one through eleven the first thing that is the evidence of your discipleship is that you are properly related to the assembly of god's people Why is that so important? Well, you remember what Jesus told us to do? Go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I command, right? So so we have to tie it back in. And then I have new congregations because I believe that's implied in the teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, right? So if the last thing that Jesus commanded us was do the Great Commission and the Great Commission necessarily involves the planting of churches, then every church that embraces the Great Commission will be participating in the multiplication of churches. right? And I say it carefully, participating in the multiplication of churches, because uh, not every local assembly may find themselves in a place where they can daughter a church, right geographically that might be the case I mean if you know like you're the only church in a community of 300 people you might not be wanting to say let's start another church the other end of town right Um, you know might be might be you're not able to do it uh, numerically with people leaving right away or financially that you could take on the expense of daughtering a church but you can by God's grace start to do what the Philippians did right away I mean, it's a fascinating thing when you read the book of Philippians, and this would be my point of tying it in, right? Paul says, Philippians 1-5, From the first day you became partners or fellowship with me in the gospel. And, And if you read through Philippians, you see exactly what that means. They prayed for Paul, right? They actually sent members of their church to minister to Paul. Chapter 2, Paphroditus. Chapter 4, they actually sent money to help support Paul. More than once when he was at Thessalonica. You know Acts, right? Paul leaves Philippi, goes to Thessalonica. He's not at Thessalonica very long, and the Philippians sent more than one offering to help him. And why did they do that? Because Paul's missionary strategy was that he wouldn't accept money from the people to whom he was preaching. Right? 1 Corinthians 9, he didn't want the gospel to be of charge. The Philippians knew that, so they, already believers, sent money to help Paul be able to do what Paul was doing, which meant the Philippian church became a missionary-minded church from its inception. Now, again, weave in, 2 Corinthians 8. What do we know about the Church of Philippi? They are a poor church. They're, they're those believers in Macedonia who out of their abundant poverty were giving. Right? So it wasn't some rich group of believers who said, hey, let's just send a little money out for missions. Right? They were digging in because the minute they received the gospel. They knew they had been entrusted with the gospel and entrusted with the spread of the gospel. Right, so, so again, I'm just trying to illustrate. So I'm preaching through the book of Philippians, and I'm just tying it into the book of Acts, and I'm tying it into the Great Commission. Right, so this, this book is showing us what the results of the Great Commission are, and how a local assembly can immediately become a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. And that's what we should be like, right? There's the application. So that's the way we should be thinking. We should be, I mean, my, again, I, I keep coming up with different ways to do it, but you could call intercession 119, involvement in Chapter 2 and Chapter 4, and investment in Chapter 4, or if you like peas prayer and participation and provision. Right? That's that's what it means to be gospel partners. So how do we how do we preach through Philippians about teaching our our congregations how to be gospel partners with missionaries? The multiplying of them. And you could go through Acts with those spread of the word throughout the whole region and say so folks, our responsibility as a church in in obeying the great commission is to not just think about the people on the other side of the globe, but what about the people on the other side of this County that don't have the gospel or on the other part of this region that don't have a gospel preaching church, right? So the gospel is supposed to land here and echo out like it did at Thessalonica, right? So that we're, we're uh, embracing the mindset of the great commission that we're always trying to see the gospel expand in a region it grew and multiplied right so we're teaching and preaching that the arena the arena is all nations in Matthew 28 go all nations and I just put it as two things new places and new peoples Um, I think it's a both and not an either or the the language in the other commission texts have geographical ramifications. Luke says, uh, preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins in my name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. So it's, it's stated ge- geographically. Right? Acts 1.8 uh, 8 is giving us sort of the outline of the geographic expansion of the gospel through the book of Acts. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, remote parts of the earth. That's what Acts is going to record for us. And that's why it says all the way through Acts, it's spread through the whole region, spread through the whole region. And it's using geographic language in that regard. In fact, I think I put the two references in, in Matthew, I think, to help do that. Uh, if you just jump back real quick, twenty-four, fourteen, uh, Just trying to show you that um, I think sometimes the emphasis on new peoples has eclipsed new places in a in an inappropriate way right so it says in 24:14 this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations right so it's a geographic statement the whole world and then a people group statement to the nations and remember what's said about the the anointment that was poured out on Christ in Matthew if you go over to chapter 26 In verse 13, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. So Jesus talks about what's going to happen in terms of global expansion of the gospel. Uh, Obviously, it's a dangerous thing to say, why didn't he say it like this, (laughs) right? This, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached among the peoples, People groups are the nations, right? But he, he's comfortable using geographic, the whole world. In fact, Paul says that in Romans 1. It's preached in the whole world, Colossians 1, the whole world under heaven, right? That, that it's, it's not just people groups. It's every place where Christ has not been named, Romans 15. That's why Paul says, having no more room for me in these regions... I'm going to go to Spain, right? He's going to another region. And and so it's it's a constant emphasis about the, uh, this isn't the right way to say it, but sort of the decentralization, right? We don't plant the flag like a gigantic magnet and hope it sucks everybody in an entire region to us, but that we plant the flag obviously gather community of believers but we're constantly pressing outward into the regions around us until we can say in addition to that regions beyond so both in, but the contribution I think that we rightly uh, probably the second or last quarter say of the 20th century became a a big push was to think about people groups because the word nations there in our culture we tend to think of nation as a geopolitical unit and the word is actually not like like you look at a map and you see a line like there's kenya that's the nation of kenya that's the way we tend to think right but the reality of it is this word would have to do more with what tribes or people groups are in kenya right so there are legitimate boundaries of, of linguistic and ethnic reality that the gospel is supposed to penetrate into right I use the illustration in class of India right it's I mean you go someone's going to go to India they're going to have to get a little more specific because <laughs> there's several hundred languages right we have graduates uh, of the seminary that are in Tamil Nadu and in uh, Kerala In South India, that sit next to each other and they speak different languages. Right? So, you need to learn the culture and language of that state. Right? You can't just go, hey, someone's in India preaching the gospel. India's off the mission board. Right? So, it's, I think, the way we have to think about it is as we go into new places. We have missiological eyes on to see where there are new peoples, where are the boundaries that might stand in the way of the spread of the gospel, and the establishing of a church planting work there. Right? We need both of those, and I think as we go through the scriptures, obviously we can see places that would allow us to point back to it. Right? I mean, if you're preaching through Acts, it's obvious the gospel spreading region by region. I mentioned the First Thessalonians one for from you sounded out the word of the Lord into all Macedonia and Achaia. You're preaching through Colossians and and Paul starts talking about the fact that he's never been there, but Epaphras brought the gospel. And and I think most people would say probably that happened to the fruit of Paul's ministry when he was in Ephesus for those two years. And it says the gospel spread through the whole region of Asia, right? So you can say, folks, look at what Colossae is a, a missionary church, From someone who came to know Christ and brought the gospel back there, right? So also, that's the way it's supposed to go. It's supposed to be spreading to new places, new peoples, right? All we're doing is going, look at this little reference in Colossians. I think it's 1-7. Boy, that's that's the great commission at work. Wouldn't it be awesome, right? From right here, some of you came from a place where you can't think of a gospel-preaching church, and you got a burden... To move into that area to preach Christ to call out new converts form them into a community around the gospel and then begin to multiply congregations right so we just went from, from correlation to application right keeping the missionary mindset in front of our our, our congregation and then the assurance I'm with you always uh, That I think implies power and the reason I have Acts eleven twenty one. There, uh, when they spread up to Antioch to do the work, they're preaching, and it says the hand of the Lord was with them. Right. So you're preaching through Acts eleven. It says the hand of the Lord was with them. Hey, folks, what does that sound like? That sounds like Matthew twenty eight twenty, right? And lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. You know why it worked effectively for them? Because Jesus was with them. You know what Paul said in Romans 15, right? You preach it through Romans, you come to Romans 15. I will boast of nothing except for what Christ has done. Why would Paul say it's Christ who did that? It's because Jesus said, I'll be with you as I carry it out, right? And, And actually, we can, that same truth, Philippians chapter 1, 9 through 11, filled with the fruits of righteousness through Jesus Christ. It's Christ who's producing this in us. 1 Peter chapter 4, 10 and 11 says, uh, As each has received the gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, them, do so as the oracles of God. If any man serves, i do it in the strength that God supplies, so that God be, may, may be glorified. You know the next part? Through Jesus Christ. Well, wait a minute, Paul, Peter, I'm speaking. I'm using my gift. What do you mean glorified through Jesus Christ? Well, I'm a part of his body. And he's the one working through that exercise of gift to accomplish its purposes. So it's actually the son who's glorifying the father. And that's an outworking of the fact That when we're doing the ministry God's called us to, it's Jesus who's with us. The hand of the Lord is on us to carry that out. Right? This is what Jesus promised us. Right? So again, I'm preaching in Peter, and I'm going, you know why this kind of language is here? Because what Jesus said in Matthew 28. This is the outworking of Christ accomplishing his purposes through his people. Right? So I'm just keep weaving it together. Right? So here, here's sort of the bottom line. Right? I try to illustrate and show, but the bottom line, if, if I could put it this way, is if we view our preaching as pastoral, we, we will see it as shepherding and leading the congregation, not just individuals, to obedience. Right? So... So it's certainly true that as I preach a passage, I'm calling individuals to obey it. But I also have to recognize if I'm a shepherd, an overseer, what I'm preaching also needs to be applied to the entire congregation. So not just this is what you do, this is what we do. Right? Because one of the banes of american church life is is that people don't think the church as church has anything to do the church is all just a bunch you know so to make it relevant to my life tell me how to live as a christian and it's all in silos where people are just doing their thing and not actually saying hey do you know we're the we're the church of jesus christ And we need to do what Jesus commissioned us to do. And in fact, I would be, I mean, I do say this, right? The church doesn't exist for you. You exist for the church. Jesus saved you, right? You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So you were redeemed and reshaped to do the thing he wants you to do. And chapter 4 tells you exactly what that is. You are a part of the body, and you need to supply exactly what you were made to supply. Right? You were saved to do the work of Jesus Christ. And therefore, you come not as a spectator and recipient. You come as a participant and contributor we need to do what Jesus told us to do. Not just you need to do it, we need to do it. Are we telling people what the we responsibility is? So if we're going to shepherd well, we have to. And I think if we're doing that then, we will seize textually given opportunities to help them see how the mission entrusted to us by Jesus is developed throughout the New Testament. Right, so we will grasp take hold of seize textually given opportunities to help them see how what jesus commissioned the church to do is being developed in the rest of the new testament book of acts epistles right because we want to shepherd them into the understanding of what christ called us to do and i think we will spend time teasing out the applications so god's people understand both what and how the mission is to be fulfilled, so they understand it, and and this is this is the ch- challenge, right? Um, you know, a couple years ago, well, sometime in the last whatever, uh, we were getting to. I'm trying to leave it as generic as possible, so nobody could track it down. Um, we had one of our missionaries back, and uh, we were having a luncheon with folks that had connected to it and they were going to do a question answer time and I'm sitting there as a pastor and I'm listening to the questions and getting sort of depressed not really but going boy they're, they're asking questions about the least important thing that this missionary is supposed to be doing right and, and here's my conclusion I haven't shepherded well. Right, that's that's the conclusion. I want you to make clear. I didn't look at them and think, what a bunch of idiots. I thought, I need to do a better job of teaching and shepherding and discipling. Because they should be able to ask questions that reflect what the New Testament says are the priorities of this missionary. Right, that's a failure on my part. Because I'm supposed to help them equip them shepherd them right so so sometimes what we have to do is look into the pastoral mirror and go if the people in our church don't understand what the mission is and how it's supposed to be done whose fault is that if pastor teachers exist for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body. The problem is ours, right? And I don't say that to put you on a guilt trip. I'm just saying sometimes we've never even talked about that, right? I need to have them understand what it is that we are supposed to be doing as a church. And if we're sending somebody out to the field on our behalf to do the work entrusted to us, Right? Because the Great Commission was given to us, not just that missionary. The missionary is going out to do our work on our behalf. Do we actually know what we're telling them to do? I mean, do we really know the standard for what they're called to do? And therefore, we can help them, we can assist them, we can counsel them, we can exercise appropriate accountability right we need to know those things and the church needs to know those things so if we view it as pastoral we'll see it as calling the congregation to obedience we'll seize textually given opportunities to help them understand that and we'll spend time teasing out the application so God's people understand both what and how the mission is to be fulfilled and we won't restrict this to missions Sundays and missions conferences right we'll do it simply as we unpack the word of God for the good of his people and his glory let me pray please father thank you for your word and thank you for the richness of it uh, that we can spend and will spend our entire lives meditating on it in the the truth that's in it and the ramifications of that truth. And so would you please use this time this morning to be perhaps a, a provocation to us to be more faithful in this task, more, more committed to Great Commission leadership through the teaching of your truth? That we, as we have charge over and give instruction, might be mission-minded about that. Leading God's people to embrace the mission entrusted to us and to do so with, with good biblical understanding and wholehearted commitment to honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.